Father, thank you that you come to us where we are. You meet our needs. I pray this morning as we look into your word that you will do that once again as you have with this song. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for dying. And thank you for resurrecting. Speak to our hearts this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, I want to begin reading in verse 24. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. I want to talk about a confrontation with a doubter this morning. I know that we've just celebrated the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I know that you've heard a lot of sermons on the death and the resurrection and how important that is to each of us. I want you to listen to these verses in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails, thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. In other words, what he said to Thomas, stop not believing. Don't be faithless. But I love verse 28 because this is Thomas's answer. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. There's plenty of evidence concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are many people that try to doubt that today, but they need to be aware that the evidence is plenty and there's no doubt about that particular fact. The tomb's empty. Many of us have been there. Some of you have been there more than once. You've walked in. For me, it was just a very emotional time. Many have had the Lord's Supper at this particular place. Whatever that need may be, when you walk into that empty tomb, there's something that's unique and something that's different. Another evidence of the resurrection of Christ was when you find Peter and John in Scripture going into the tomb and the clothes, the way they're laying there. They're not disturbed. It's almost as though a balloon has the air let out of it and it just falls. They weren't piled in a corner. They weren't laying on the floor. They were just lying right there. There was also another evidence. They placed a guard at a tomb. Now, you understand, dead men ain't going nowhere, pardon the grammar. They're dead. They took him off the cross. They checked to see if he was dead beforehand. 
to be sure, they ran a spear in his side, and blood and water gushed out everywhere. They knew where the tomb was at. It belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. They placed a guard there, and this wasn't Barney Fife they put there either. This would have been one of the Roman centurions. They wanted to make sure that none of his followers came and stole his body. And so you've got an empty tomb, you've got a guard, you've got the clothes that are not disturbed, you've got all of these evidences, you've got the appearing of Jesus. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 to at least 500 people, some that were still alive, when Paul wrote that passage in 1 Corinthians 15. You've got all of these appearances of Jesus Christ to people that knew who he was, that recognized who he was, that could testify who he was, and that they had seen Jesus. All of this had taken place. All of this had gone on. All of this was part of what happened on that day. They couldn't produce a body. You do understand his enemies wanted to prove he was dead. They couldn't find a body anywhere. They couldn't find a body because there was no body. There wasn't a body to be found. They couldn't find that. Uh, even to this day, I have read that there are some people who still would like to go through and, and tear up and find a body somewhere that would DNA evidence. If they had any, they could prove that it was Jesus Christ. But there's no body there. They can't do that. There are evidences that even baffle the most intellectual people and those who are trying to discredit the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no discrediting it. It's a fact. But think about what the resurrection does for you and for me. Because of the resurrection, I have forgiveness of sin. Because of the resurrection, I have a freedom in Jesus Christ I couldn't have any other way. Because of the resurrection, Jesus Christ is uniquely different from every other founder of every other belief system there's ever been or ever will be. And that's the fact that all of these others have died and their body placed in a grave and they didn't come out. Now, they're very much alive today, but not where they thought they would be alive. And you need to understand that Jesus came out of the tomb and he walked around so people could see him. He performed many wonderful things that John says a little later in this passage was not even recorded in the gospel. Jesus did all of this. But because Jesus resurrected, I don't have to fear death today. I don't have to worry about it. You and I are going to live a lot longer after this life than we ever will in this life. We're going to live either in heaven or hell. There's not a third option. There's not a third choice. There's nowhere else. You're either going to live with Jesus Christ or you're going to live in the regions of the damned. You're going to be in hell. There's not another choice that you have. And you need to understand that because Jesus resurrected one of these days, you and I, whatever grave they place us in, if you cremated whatever ashes you have, you're going to come forth and the Bible says with a shout and with the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise first and we that are alive and remain will be called up to be with the Lord in the air. So we're all going to be there. If we're alive or if we're in the grave, if we've died, we're coming out. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. And the longer I live and the longer I see what's happening in this world we live in, the closer I want to see that come. That's what I get to enjoy. 
Because of the resurrection, I have the Holy Spirit indwelling in my life. You see, Jesus said he had to go away, but if he went away, he would send a comforter. And he sent the comforter at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. He indwells each of us that know him as Savior. He walks with us. It's the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, by the way, God himself, that comes into our life to guide us, to walk with us, to help us through the lowest points of our life, to help us through the most difficult times in our life. It's the Holy Spirit. We have Him, a real person living within us. We couldn't have that apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am loved unconditionally. My dad was a World War II veteran. I never knew much about what happened till he died, and I researched the company he was in. I understood why he didn't talk about it a lot, but I bring him up because he was a disciplinarian. Greg Mathis and I met way back in 1962. His dad was my pastor, and so we kind of grew up together as kids. He'll tell you, my dad didn't use standing in a corner. Dad didn't make me have time out. He had a belt that hung on the wall. And he knew where to apply it, and he applied it often. He was a disciplinarian. He loved me. I know that he loved me, but Dad did not know how to show it very well. I had probably been pastoring 30 years, and finally Dad called me one day. He was about ready to retire. I knew that he felt like I had succeeded when he asked me my advice on how to handle a church problem. First time daddy ever asked me anything. Now he would come and tell me what to do, even after I'd been married 30 years. But he didn't ask me. But that was dad. The God that saved me one day. Knows how to love. There's no conditions on it. He didn't come to a one of us and say, you get good enough. You succeed here. You make it here. And I'll save you. He saved us right where we were. That's what we have to rejoice about over the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because we're loved unconditionally. Because we're loved unconditionally. Because of the resurrection. I have a purpose in life. Now, I know God doesn't call everybody to preach the gospel, and, and I am grateful to God that he called me early, and I knew what I was supposed to do. And, and people over the years have asked me, how do you know? I don't know how I knew. I just knew. There wasn't any doubt in my mind. When I got up in that ninth grade chemistry class, and shared with that class that God had called me to preach the gospel, they looked at me right funny. In the next class, when I wanted to share, the English teacher said, you need to find something to do other than public speaking. That was a real encouragement to a 13-year-old boy. And you and I need to understand that God gives us purpose. I don't care if you are a builder, work in a factory. God has saved each and every one of us to bring honor and glory to Him through whatever we do. 
And God wants us to take whatever He has gifted us to do, called us to do, empowered us to do, and do it to His honor and glory. That's the purpose. Because of the resurrection, we can have purpose. Because of the resurrection, one of these days I've got a future. You know, I'll never have a whole lot of wealth here in this life. God's given me far more than I've needed, far more than I ever thought I would have, and I'm grateful for it. But when I look at some folks and I think about, boy, they've got all this money, but one of these days, Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come again and get you and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. That place, mansion, room, you call it what you want to. All I'm concerned about, I'm going to live in his house. And it's going to be nicer than anything I could think of. You talk about a future. I didn't get to live when Jesus walked this earth as Thomas. I didn't see him die on the cross as Thomas did. Thomas had a problem. His problem was doubt. And in the scripture I read to you, you find where Jesus appeared to the disciples. Now, I'm assuming that would be ten disciples. Judas wasn't there and Thomas wasn't there. And when he appeared, the door was shut. Thomas wasn't with them. They were scared. They were afraid. They were thinking the Jews might come after them next. And so they're behind closed doors. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes in. Just imagine being in that room and Jesus appears. He didn't open the door and walk in. He just showed up. And they saw Jesus. The one who told them, three days I'll raise this body up. Three days I'm going to do this. They didn't believe him. They heard it. But then when he died, they thought it was over. It wasn't over. And when he showed up, they saw him. Now they did exactly what good Baptists are supposed to do when Jesus does something in our life. Go tell somebody. I, Christians I know but they did it and they go to Thomas and Thomas said unless I can see him touch him I won't believe it I don't understand that I know Thomas back in John 14 before Jesus died had doubts about where he was going he said Lord we don't know where you're going how do we know the way but here is Thomas, and here's, let's just, for the sake of argument, assume there's ten. Ten people for three, three and a half years, you have walked with them, you've been with them, you've listened to Jesus teach, you've seen the miracles, you know all that Jesus has done. These are the best friends you've got. You think they're going to lie to you? You think they're going to tell you Jesus is alive when he's not alive? You think Simon Peter, who sticks his foot in his mouth more than he has it on the ground, is going to lie to you about this? Do you think John is going to lie to you? Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it until I see him. He wanted those senses involved, his sight, his feel, his touch, to be able to touch. We live in a day in which unbelief is okay. I mean, that's what the culture will tell you. Have doubts. Have doubts. Unbelief is something you need to get over if you're going to serve Jesus. 
you've got to put your faith in him to trust him as your personal Lord and Savior. But you need to understand faith is important. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, without faith, meaning the belief in, it is impossible to please him, meaning God. You're not going to please him. Do you have the faith? You're here at Fruitland preparing. If you're going into church ministry in some capacity, if you're just going out there to be a witness for Christ or trying to grow whatever your purpose is, do you understand that as you walk with him, you've got to have faith to believe that he's going to see you through whatever you go through. If you're going to pastor or serve on staff, there's going to be some days that you're going to wonder, God, where in the world are you at? There's going to be some times you wonder, am I not hearing you? I don't get the answer. I don't know what to do with this situation. What do I do? You're going to have to have faith to trust him, to listen to him. That means you're going to have to spend some time in this word, not what everybody else says about it. That means you're going to have to read the word of God. You're going to have to seek him to reveal to you the truth of the Lord. You're going to have to talk to him so you can understand him when he speaks to you. And that doesn't come in 30 seconds and just every week or two. It doesn't come bowing your head at a meal and having a sinus headache and saying amen at the end of it. It comes from spending time with Jesus Christ until you know that when he speaks through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, you have got the faith to step out and go with him. Now, it's great to seek advice, and I encourage that, and I do to this day. I try to seek advice from somebody younger to get a different perspective. And I would say older, but most of them are dead. But anyway, I do seek that advice. But ultimately, it comes down to what God wants you to do. Do you have the faith to walk with him? to trust Him, to depend on Him. You ever stop to think about what Thomas missed when he wasn't there? He missed the presence of Jesus. He missed the Lord using this phrase. Now, he used it later with Thomas, but he said, Peace be unto you. From about verse 19 through verse 29 or 30, three times he uses a phrase, Peace unto you. 19 and 21 Thomas wasn't there, and he uses the phrase, peace be unto you. He also missed being able to praise Jesus. You talk about praising. I cry a lot, but I'm not, I don't shout a lot, don't amen a lot. I just cry. Everybody has their own way of worshiping the Lord, and whatever God does, that's fine. I, you know, I enjoy shouting. I enjoy amens. I enjoy those places where they egg it on a little bit to get you to preach harder. You know. Nothing wrong with any of that. But you talk about praising the Lord Jesus Christ when he appeared after his death. And here he is, the resurrected Lord. You talk, Thomas missed that the first time. The scripture says he breathed on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit the first time. Thomas wasn't there. Now, I am glad that he came to Thomas where he was eight days later. But there was no promise that he would have another opportunity. And you need to be sensitive enough to hear what God's saying to you the first time. And you need to be where you need to be to be able to hear it the first time. There is no guarantees. We in America are spoiled. 
You've got churches on every corner. You've got radio and television ministries preaching the gospel. I mean, you can pick it up anywhere, anytime. There are places that that's not true. And at the rate we're going, there's going to be more places in America where that's not true. Everybody doesn't have a dozen opportunities. Everybody doesn't have a lot of opportunities to hear the gospel. And Thomas could have missed this. The provisions of Jesus that he gave them. The purpose. Think about that. Thomas' problem wasn't intellectual. There are those today that want to make this thing about Christianity and the resurrection intellectual. And that's okay. I've always been grateful. I've been afforded the opportunity to sit around and listen to some intellectuals talk and wished I had a dictionary so I'd know what they were saying. I'm not intellectual. You don't have to be in my class long. You'll figure that out. I'm on several closed groups of preachers on Facebook. I don't post. I just read on those. There are some guys on those who think they're intellectual, who just need to be who they are. Listen, folks. Jesus died, shed his blood, rose from the grave, said we were sinners and needed a Savior. And if we are willing to confess that we're a sinner and we need a Savior, when He comes and reveals that truth unto us and draws us to Him, then we have a choice to make. Yes or no. But it's on His terms. It's not on our terms. It's when He is revealing to us, when He's convicting us, when He's drawing us. That's pretty simple. The problem Thomas had was a heart problem. It wasn't an intellectual problem. The problem today with the intellectual folks, it's not an intellectual problem. It's a heart problem. I know what Romans says about the renewing of our mind, and I know what goes in up here is important, but we must get the heart settled. We must get the heart ripe. Jesus must believe living in our heart, and if we understood that today, we wouldn't have the problem that Thomas had but I thank God that Jesus came where he was and persuaded him, as you see in verse 26 and 27. Eight days later, Jesus shows up again. Thomas is with him this time. And notice what, what happens. He said to Thomas, now, you have to understand, my mom couldn't have any other children. I was it. So I had to play by myself a lot. Till Greg's family came to our community, and then I used to go bug them to death, he and his sisters all the time. But I had to generate a vivid imagination, and I used to have one, and still do. Now, in my mind, knowing that Jesus is sovereign, knowing that he's God, knowing that here's Thomas who had doubts, Jesus humbled himself enough to show up again, to reach Thomas, to get him, and, and here's Thomas, and he said, touch me, touch me. I can just imagine Jesus said, touch me. You feel that? Now, I know it probably didn't. But y'all just let me think that, okay? Thomas is persuaded now. He gets to see. He gets to touch. And Thomas makes a declaration then when he proclaims in verse 28, My Lord and my God. Literally in the Greek, that's the Lord of me, the God of me. He makes three proclamations when he says that. Number one, 
he proclaims the resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. Here he is. I've touched him. I felt him. My Lord and my God, he proclaims the lordship of Christ, secondly. Do you understand that he is Lord this day? If, he, if he's your Savior, he's your Lord. You need to get that settled, get that understood. You need to realize that he is. That means that he is going to have first place in your life one way or the other. You're going to acknowledge him as Lord. You're going to get to that point. If you are saved, he disciplines you. I mentioned my dad was a disciplinarian. You know, my dad was kind of rough, but I'd get over that when God comes and disciplines me because when I sin, I don't have to wonder the Holy Spirit convicts me I know it and I know I need to repent of it and if I don't that chastisement that discipline comes and I've got news for you God knows how to do it good he wants first place in every area of our life if you're going to serve him in church life if you're going to serve him period he wants number one with your time with your talent with whatever else he has given you. You want your marriage to be the kind of marriage it needs to be. Then you put Jesus Christ first in your life. Your mate puts Jesus first in her life or his life. And as you, that husband and wife, serve Jesus Christ together. Walk with him. I, I hear people talking about they need to do this and need to do that. No, you've got to have three involved. You've got to have the husband, the wife, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's got to be not only first in your life... My, my wife loves the fact that she's second in my life because I do far better job being a husband to her with Jesus first and her second than I do the other way around. And you better understand that when it comes to those children, one day they're growing up, you're rearing them to go out on their own and leave home and the time to teach them and the time to show them that, that he is to be Lord is not by what you say but by how you live and what you do. Learn to love them unconditionally. Because they're not going to always do it the way you want it done. But they may do it the way God wants it done. But then Thomas makes one of the greatest proclamations ever. My God. He's looking at Jesus. My God. He is declaring the deity of Christ. That's where most belief systems fall short. You can talk about God today, but when you call Jesus God, that's where you lose a lot of those folks. I use this passage a lot when I'm dealing with Jehovah's Witness. It goes way back for me. When I was 22 years old, I had a member come into church to take me out one Sunday morning. He came up in the pulpit after me. He said, I was the Antichrist because I'd been teaching on the Trinity. And his endeavor was he was going to be God's servant to take the Antichrist out. He had been shell-shocked in the Korean War. And a Jehovah's Witness had been visiting with him. And they had been teaching him that Jesus was not God. And so from that, I'd always use 1 John 5 and 7. I was 22 years old. Says there are three in heaven that bear record. The Father, Word, words capitalized, and the Spirit. These three are one. 
The only problem with that, it's not in the oldest manuscripts. And don't come up and want to argue that point. Even Schofield's got a footnote that says it's not in the oldest manuscripts. That's okay. When I preach through 1 John, I still preach it. And I use that verse. But I don't use it with Jehovah's Witness because they don't know much Greek. But they've read that somewhere. So I don't need it. But I love this verse. And when you often, when you're talking with them about that, here's what this, well, he wasn't worshiping God then. I said, oh, really? So when he said, my Lord, my God, he wasn't giving worship? Oh, no. I said, well, pardon me, but where I'm from, that's either worship or cussing. I know cursing, but I said where I'm from. They don't curse in Chesney. They still cuss. And it's one of the two. I said, now you would say that the word of God is consistent and Jesus would be consistent. Well, sure. Well, the Ten Commandments said, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And if he's not worshiping God, he's got to be taking the name in vain, right? They don't usually answer. I said, that's okay. Let's see what God said about this. All you got to do is read the next verse. And if I'm really irritated with them, I say, that's what y'all don't like to do. So let me just go ahead and read it for you so you'll know what he said. And when you read the next verse, I love this. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. That's great. But what I really love, and I love that with those folks, I'll just say something to the fact, well, he accepted that, didn't he? But here's what I love for me. Blessed are they that have not seen and have believed. And I hadn't seen those nails yet, those nail prints in his hand yet, that I believe in. And I want to walk with him. I want to follow him wherever he leads. You want to have peace. You want to have purpose. You want to have joy. You want to have all that he intends to give us as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then just put your trust in Him and walk with Him each day. And it is a daily walk. And know that because of Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit came and He indwells within our heart. And you can have all that He has for you. And when you get to that point, what He has for you will be enough. Whatever that is. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to never live in doubt. That you would help us not to doubt your promises, not to doubt your presence with us, not to doubt your love for us, not to doubt that whatever we go through, you're going to be right there. I thank you for that today. I thank you, Lord, that you have walked with myself, my family, through a lot of difficult times. But you've always brought us out on the other end. And I know there's coming a day, as my grandmother used to talk about that fourth verse of the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I'm glad shadows don't hurt, and we'll go through, and we'll be in your presence. Thank you for that promise. May we live every day, claiming it, clinging to it, and walking with you. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.